0: Join Brett Weekly as he interviews your favorite celebrities from film, oh, television, I'm
1: back in business, baby.
0: comedy, and much more. Inconceivable! Plus, you never know who will stop by. Dude, we are so gonna party! Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Brett Allen Show, a pop culture podcast where we interview your favorite actors from film and television, comedy, music and more. And today we have a very special guest. We are chatting with Max Casella. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with your current project, that cold dead look in your eyes.
1: Max, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yes. Well, I I'm joking partially in the fact that you have so such a large body of work. But let's talk about this film. I had the opportunity to watch it. Amazing and beautiful film. Very unexpected, uh, to say the least. And uh, yeah, just incredible. Let's talk about this project and how this all sort of came about for you and, and how you got involved with it.
1: Well, Owner Tukel has been a friend of mine for a long time. I met him uh, when he made a film called Applesauce, and he asked me to be in that. And um I just uh, fell in love with the guy. I mean, he's such a great artist, such a unique voice. Um, in a sort of world where everything everything sort of, you know, fades into the woodwork as the same, same, same old, same old. Owner's got a true, a true um, uh, unique person and uh, when he was doing this movie uh, he had already been been filming it and sort of as an afterthought because we were friends he he said I have a small part I wrote for you would you like to be to do it and of course and with anything with owner if whatever whenever he asked me to do anything I just say yes without even looking at it Um, because I love the guy he's a dear friend of mine and I trust his artistic vision implicitly And uh, originally it was like, can you speak French? I said, no. I said, but I guess I could, you know, learn how to say my lines in French. So we talked about that for a little while then quickly realized that was sort of an impossibility in such a (laughs) short period of time because there was too much dialogue. But um, yeah, I've seen the movie. I think it's brilliant. I think it's one of his best. It's gorgeously shot, uh, beautifully acted. The music is fantastic. Um, and it's perfectly weird and perfectly owner.
0: Yeah, I'll have to be honest with you. I mean, again, the film is beautiful and amazing, but as I said in our introduction, very unexpected. Like I I, I did not see any of this coming, so to speak, and I think that's great, uh, (laughs) to say the least. And you already answered my next question about speaking French, because... When the film starts out, clearly French is the primary language. I think they they sprinkle English in and out partially yeah. throughout the film. And of course, you know, you say a few lines here and there in Spanish. So obviously this was a bit of a departure uh, for you as far as learning like the language. But it, it, it turned out perfectly well. And I think when audiences have the opportunity to watch this, I think they're going to be amazed at just how well it's done and you said the music the scenery the cinematography is all it's spectacular honestly like i i'm i'm breathtaking just even discussing it now after watching i
1: agree i think it's one of his best uh and it's creepy as hell and uh it's it's owner's peculiar artistic view of the world and sometimes it takes strange twists and turns but you guys just got to go with him because you're in good hands. You know, he's not, yeah. he's not a Hollywood director and he's, he's, he's a real artist and he's like got a very unique voice, you know, um, and things take unexpected turns with owner and you just got to go with it. As an
0: actor, when you've done so many things and so many major projects, when you have the opportunity to do something like this, that might be a departure from, what you've normally done and, and that might even be a stretch to say that because you've just as I was researching and found out about our conversation I was going back through your entire body of work and I mean you've done a lot some I've even had forgotten about you know even in the last 10 years do you find yourself challenged as an actor when you have an opportunity to be able to do something like this that's so different
1: and so unique to what roles you might typically play no, I mean I treated it like anything else. It, it wasn't a challenge at all. I mean, I I knew what the the, the role was, and uh, just um, it's just uh, I don't want to say it's just an acting job because it sounds like it just didn't like matter as far as anything compared to anything else. But it really no, I mean uh, for me it was a chance to work with my friends and. I read the part and I got it immediately. Guy guy owns, runs, a, owns and runs a restaurant. And this one chef is, is, is getting very weird. And he starts <laughs> to like, forgets how to cook. He starts poisoning the customers uh, accidentally. And uh, something weird is happening to him, which you find out through in the movie, what that thing is. And it's very weird. Um, and then I have to like, demote him and make him a waiter then he can't seem to do that i mean it was like very simple stuff you know and i was just basically just was was max is, is if max was uh, running a french restaurant in new york i mean it was just a joy to do it. i mean i don't see there are some roles that are take a lot more uh research or they have their other challenges but mostly acting is something that just comes naturally to me and I just um, I, I just have a feel for it. I've been doing it since I was a tiny kid playing make-believe and, you know, I just never grew up and stopped playing make-believe. I never got a real job. <laughs> I love the
0: honesty. It's great because you have done so much going, I mean, I think all the way back, I mean, obviously a lot of people would connect you with Doogie Hauser, but you've also gone on to do so many other Amazing projects. I mean, you know, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. Miss Maisel, um, Sopranos. I mean, I, again, when I was going back and researching and just kind of looking at your body of work, I was like, you have been doing this for a very long time. What was it that interested you in acting to begin with? Because you did get a start at such a very young age, you know, into
1: the business. Yeah, no, I started acting when I was about 12 in Boston where I grew up and um, I kind of just fell into it. And I mean, before that, since I was a little kid, I was, I was an, like an illustrator and I, I was drawing all the time, but I never considered that a career. I wasn't even thinking in terms of a career because I was just a little kid. And then uh, a, a high, uh, not high school, but a, um, a drama coordinator for the city of Cambridge where all the public schools would come around and play theater games with us. And, and then she asked me to be in a, a high school play. And I think the first time I was on stage was in this high school play. even know, I was only 12, I was in grammar school. It was a production of Pippin, the musical, and they needed a little boy to play Theo. And I think the minute I got on stage, I just had one of those feelings of like, this is what I'm gonna do. And I'm not sure I could be honest in telling you what that feeling was. And maybe it was just a matter of being an egomaniac attention uh, whore kid. <laughs> um, maybe that was all it was. I mean, I, I still love my art and my drawing and stuff, but it's very solitary. I guess acting allowed me to have like sort of uh, things in my personality, which is a sort of tug of war between me wanting to be an introvert and me wanting to be an extrovert. Um, And so acting allows me to act out all of my extra versions uh, in a sort of safe way because it's just, we're playing make-believe.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I love that. I had heard uh, different stories from other actors who have been a part of some of these major projects recently, the Sopranos prequel, the many saints. And a lot of these actors were very young working with very seasoned actors Uh, who were in this film, and they were always asking, you know, do you have any advice or anything that you can help me with? And I think Ray Liotta said the same thing that you just said, almost exactly. It's like, we have the best job in the world. We get to put on some makeup, throw some gel in our hair, memorize a few lines, and we get to play for a living. This is not a normal job that anybody else in the world could ever possibly have. So enjoy it because... You know, you have nowhere to go but up from here. When you are acting and you get this project, Doogie Hauser, and I just want to touch on it lightly, just in light of the fact that they have re are doing a retelling now of the story because it was just so good originally. I don't think you could ever do the original justice. That's just my personal opinion because it was such a fun show growing up watching it. But when you land on a show like that and you're a part of this major project, how does it feel as an individual to, to get something like this and go, man, this thing is huge and it's just so well-received by because the, there was nothing like it at the time. No show on television that was yeah. telling quite the story uh, that you were telling. And it wasn't just about a young kid being a doctor. You guys had an amazing relationship and you guys dealt with real problems you know, yeah. Yeah. that answered a lot of
1: questions. Well, I got to tell you, the truth of the matter is, a little bit stranger uh, than maybe you would expect. I think when I got Doogie Howser, I was living in New York with my mom up in uh, Inwood, uh, 207th Street, uh, we were broke as anything. She was basically supporting me. I was like 20, 21. I was going to acting class. I was working in a theater, an off-off Broadway theater. I was cleaning the toilets and mopping the floors, painting the the walls. Um, I was running the light board and I was in the plays and uh, I was having an apprenticeship there and was happy as as anything. I had just come back from London the previous summer to study Shakespeare. Uh, The only reason I was able to afford the Summer Shakespeare Intensive, which cost $2,000 in 1987, was because my mother had fallen in a pothole and my uncle sued the city And I was able to go with with the money and I was all set uh, to go back the summer of 1989, uh, which is really what I want. I wanted to be an artist and a theater actor. And I love Shakespeare. And I had all these highfalutin ideas with all of which I still have, by the way, and have gotten to like uh, realize those over the years. But at the time when I was 20, 21, I had no intention of, of looking at Hollywood or television or anything but while I was working in, as an apprentice in this theater, it was called Theater 22 on uh, 54 West 22nd Street, uh, run by this old, brilliant old man, Sidney Armis, who was an a, a, a old friend of Marlon Brando's from like the 40s and 50s. And a lot of agents would come through there scouting talent at the acting classes that would be going on in the daytime. And they'd see me mopping the floors. And I got to tell you, so many agents just spotted me immediately and said, I want to represent you. Are you an actor? Um, and so I was freelancing with about five of them. And they were just like, I had to, hardly had to raise a f- eyebrow. And they would just see me and they go, I want to represent you. It was really weird. And I was insanely lucky and ignorant at the same time. And I was auditioning for all these pilots. And one of them was Doogie Howser. And I booked it. Now, when I booked it, it had totally fucked my plans of going back <laughs> to the London uh, Academy of, of Music and Dramatic Arts for the second time year, which was like my happiest time I'd ever been in my life. I had no plans to do anything in Hollywood. I was still like in the tra- training phase. I was just studying all night and working on my speech in the mirror every night. And I was just like living this monkish experience and i get this pilot and it's it's i don't even realize how lucky it is because it's not just a pilot it's a stephen botchko pilot it's guaranteed 13 episodes on the air it's like actors go their whole careers wanting this and it just yeah. here it is i just get it right out of the gate and and i'm telling my friends i'm like yeah this is some stephen botchko they're like stephen botchko you know what and <laughs> i go out i do the pilot and we're so broke at this time. We're like me and my mom be counting out pennies to get on the subway to go to work, to buy a, a token. And all of a sudden, and and it takes me like two years to save up two grand to go back to uh, London Academy where I wanted to go the second year. Boom. I got 10 grand dropped in my lap like, like that. Wow. And your head is just spinning. So I go out and I do the pilot. I'm in LA for the first time. I'm having a ball. Um, I finally moved me and my mom out of uh, Inwood down into the West village. I'm thinking I'm there for 13 episodes, which is about three months. And then I'm back in New York, but with a ton of money. Well, it went four years, but
0: I was, I was like dumb luck. An overnight success. That's taken years to get where
1: you're at. It's unbelievable. It doesn't happen that way at all. I wasn't looking at it. I wasn't looking, trying it for it. I wasn't trying. I didn't even want it. And when I first got it, I was crestfallen, if you can believe it, because I had no I was only 21 and who didn't hadn't been anywhere and didn't know anything. Wow. That is so fascinating. I think that's why I love
0: doing this podcast, Max, is because I get to talk to such talented actors and amazing people like yourself and hear these things, because I remember watching this show and, and I nobody would ever have that idea. And it just went on forever. And yes, Bochco, that's a name. I haven't heard that in quite some time. Uh, to get a show like that because he was pumping out the hits my goodness it was just one after another after another kind of like a dick wolf before his time you know who now has like a bajillion that's hyperbole but all these shows on television uh you know because they just they do so well and um again you've been a part of so many other amazing things mrs mazel of course the sopranos I mean, the list goes on and on. One last question, Max, as we wrap our conversation here. You've done so many things and been a part of so many projects. Was there ever a piece of advice that you were given at some point in your career that just helped you and sustained you and kind of kept you moving along, maybe even early on in your career when you just kept landing you know, all of these successes, just one right after the other.
1: I think the only thing that comes to mind is a piece of advice that wasn't given me, but given to my friend while I was standing right next to him. So I heard it. And I c- gotta be honest, I didn't follow the advice or digest it for many years after, but it stayed with me. And he told my friend, who was also an actor, he's a, he was a producer, this guy, Phil Goldfarb. He was a producer on Doogie Howser. And he said to my friend, make sure you are your your true self at all times and don't copy other actors and don't put on a phony facade because if we, the producers are actually looking for someone just like you, we may miss you because you're out there pretending to be somebody else, somebody big famous movie star guy that you're trying to copy. A lot of actors do that. We all copied when we were kids. We're all encouraged actually. In one way or another, by our acting teachers, even if they didn't say that, it was sort of in the air. Like you should look at Brando, and look at this one, and look at you know uh, Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, all the all the names, big names that when I was coming up, you know. And you internalize like, yes, I am trash basically, and <laughs> they are gods, and I can never hope to be that. So I have to like try to like copy that you haven't internalized what made them great which was their unique individuality and it takes you years of uh life you gotta it's called maturity and i've reached the age where i am now totally myself be damned if i'm not as great uh or as famous or as brilliant as say you know robert de niro or somebody anybody else like that by god i'm my self and i'm the best max casella There is, you know, it's that old letter from Martha Graham to, I think uh, one of her uh, students as she says something. There's that letter about, you know, it's not for you to decide how good you are. You have to be you no matter what, you know, it's not your business to be satisfied. No artist is ever satisfied. So I'll leave it at that. Wow.
0: And we have been talking with Max Casella, that cold dead look in your eyes be on the lookout for this. It will be available for people to stream soon. This is an amazing film. I'm so lucky I had the chance to watch it twice. Max Casella, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. It's been an honor.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime.
0: That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect
1: those of the host.
0: Autobots. Roll out. Go home.